Christian walk with God is that when God puts something before you, He's going to empower you to be able to do that thing. He's doing it for His purpose. He's doing it because He has something great. And God began to uh, speak to me about a subject uh, that I think is very important. I know it's important because God gave it to me, but it's very important and it's one of the keys for us to be successful in a life lived for Him. When I was thinking about how to illustrate this, I, I, I came up uh, uh, this scenario. Put that picture up there. Uh, this scenario, and it is it is something that's well known, right? It is something that's been trending in the news. It's been trending everywhere. And you know, when when we saw this, or you know, hopefully you weren't watching it, but you know, if you saw a news clip, I won't judge you. Uh, but we saw this, and it, 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 was, it was funny. But when you really think about this, this is not, it's, it's very serious. And it's not an overreaction, because when you think about this issue, if you haven't heard about it, it was, it was during an award show, and uh, Chris Rock, the man in motion, the, other, the receiving motion, uh, he's, he's, he's getting slapped by Will Smith, and it's not a movie. It's not when stage. Um, Chris Rock made a joke about Will Smith's wife, and Will Smith chuckled a little bit, but then he got up and went on stage in this live award show and slapped him. And so, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll talk about that. But, um, but when you think about this, right, this happened, and regardless of how you feel about the situation, because of his decision and because of his action, it now has begun to cause backlash and judgment in his life. He's now starting to lose out on future opportunities, future things that he had in motion. Uh, he's starting to get canceled, right? That's the, that's the word that we use in this day and age. He's, he's starting to be canceled, and it's not just affecting his own career. It's affecting his family as well because they are starting to be canceled as well, right? And so this one decision, this one moment of frustration, because really this moment of frustration, this moment of anger set in motion real consequences for this man's life. Now we say, oh, yeah, this moment. That's cool, like, but he's, these, are, these are some things that's happened in his life, and he can't change anything about it. And granted, when he was doing this, he was not seeing all of the things that were going to happen. He was not thinking about all the results that was going to do, but this is not true just for Will Smith. But we're beginning to see this all across our world. We're starting to see people that are making decisions in the moment that are fueled by passions, that are fueled by anger, rage, and unforgiveness. You can't turn on the news without seeing something crazy, some, some type of road rage, some type of shooting, some type of uh, bullied and neglected person going and, and, and shooting up some large public place, maybe a school, or a mall, or a group of 
people. We're starting to see this, and this is becoming everyday life. And that's why I say that, yeah, this was funny, but when you take a look at it, when you really look at this, it's kind of serious. Because this is where our world, it's, it's not, this used to be uh, crazy stuff like this used to be, you know, the, uh, the weird kid that was dressed and went, they did those type of things. <laughs> but now you're seeing everyday normal people, people who you wouldn't think twice about doing random things like this. This is what our world is turning into. And people are making decisions that will change their lives forever. But, but this is something, it's not a surprise because the Word of God tells us this. It tells us this in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. It says, But know this, and the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And we are beginning to see that. It's not sensationalism. It's not just grabbing the dents out of the air. You and I, we can see this on a daily basis. And it's becoming, it's growing more and more and more and more. And we're seeing that our world is not just becoming more frustrated. It's not becoming more stressed, but it's because men, it is because women, it's because people are becoming more sinful. People are becoming more sinful. And that's what I want to minister on this morning, the issue of sin. Right? Out of Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, we're going to read together, verses 7 through 9, and then we're going to skip uh, to verse 15 and 17. You there? Say amen. Amen. So, Genesis 2, starting at verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the midst of the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Then the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let's take a moment and pray this morning. Father, we thank you. God, we come by the blood. God, we're asking you, God, to let your spirit, God, your presence fall in this place. God, I pray, give us your eyes this morning, God. Give us your mind, God, that we may sin, that we may see sin as you see it. Lord, that we may see life, God, as you see it. And I'm asking you, God, by the Holy Ghost, God, that you will begin to turn every heart in this place against sin and unrighteousness, God. Lift up your church, God, in power 
and glory, God, that we may live for you in these last days. We thank you this morning, and we give you praise, and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, and the church said amen. Amen. Let's look firstly at the realities of sin. Uh, the sermon this morning, we're taking notes called the moment of flesh. Moment of flesh. Let's look firstly at the realities of sin. When you think about the realities of sin, this morning, many things can come into our minds. Some of us, we can think about how bad the world is. When you think about sin, you're like, oh yeah, the world's horrible, bad, all kinds of crazy stuff is going on. You can think about, when you think about sin, you may think about laws, you may think about people that are in the prison system. Perhaps maybe you think about crime, and you think about what's going on in your city, you think about the dangers, you think about where you're from, or any of those different things. You can ask on the street a hundred people what is sin, and you probably get 80 to 100 different answers. And in order to understand sin, when we say the word sin, we need to have and we need to know a biblical, God-centered definition of sin. Sin, this morning, is the transgression of God's law. Transgression meaning an act that goes against God's law. This word in the Greek, hamartia, means, you may have heard it, missing the mark. How many people have heard that? Sin is missing the mark. But going deeper into that, what mark? Whose mark? God's mark. Right? Sin is to wander from the law of God, to violate God's law. It is that which is done wrong. It is an offense. It is a violation, whether in our thoughts or in our acts. Or simply, when I witness, I talk to people, I like to say, anything God has said that you don't do is sin. Simple. Anything not done according to what God has said, it is sin. James 4, 17 says, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now everyone say, it is sin. Come on. Everybody say, it is sin. Because you're going to know what sin is today. You're going to know. So when God says to love your neighbor and you don't, right? When God says not to look upon a woman with lust and you do, right? God says, bring your tithe into the storehouse. Don't. It's sin. And it's not a mistake. It's not my shortcomings. But we, we kind of do that sometimes, don't we? We don't like to use that S word when we, when, we, when we got stuff going on. We don't like to say, yeah, I'm just sinning, right? <laughs> We like, to, we like to say, like, ah, I'm getting it together. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. But no. We need to say, it is sin. But those are the easy ones. Right? But what about when God tells you that you need to get serious about living for him? And you don't. It is. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you're with me. I, I was thinking y'all would kind of fall off after this point. Yeah, I was like, I don't want to say it. But when God tells, God tells you to lay down your desires and pick up your cross, and you don't, it's sin. 
when God moves on your heart to stop gossiping and to speak negative words about people, it's sin. Right? You don't always have to have the you know the chart on the wall, right? Because we, we think about sin and we say, yeah, you know, murdering and stealing and fornication and adultery and all those all those things, you know, that's you know, you got your list of sin on the wall. And then when things don't fall into that list, you kind of write it off. And you know it's not good, but you won't call it sin. And really it is. You just can't narrow sin to be what you want it to be. You need to see your life this morning, and you need to see your decisions how God sees it. And in our text, we have an example of just that violation of what God said, Genesis 2, 15 through 17, that the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And this is why I chose this scripture because this is the first sin. And to understand it, you need to see where it, where it began from. This is the command of God. God is telling the man, I've put you in this, this whole garden. I've put you here, and you may freely eat of anything in this entire garden that I've put here for you. But of this one thing, you cannot eat of it. Here is my instruction, and here is the consequence that it is not followed. And we know what happened after. God works like that. God gives us the arena. And he tells us what to do. He also tells us what not to do. And then he gives us the consequence. And then he goes on and starts again. Right? And then it's up to you whether you listen to the word of God or you do what you want. But there's, a, there's, a, there's another issue, if you will, further along in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, says, now the serpent, right? So now this is more than man in the garden. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the servant said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Now think about this. Because this is the reality of sin. The first sin. By man. This is the sin that created the world that you know. 
Because of this sin, the entire mankind fell. And from this one sin, this is where all other sins come from. This sin was a simple decision to eat something God said not to. This wasn't murder. It wasn't theft. It wasn't any of those serious ones we have on our top ten list. It was a simple decision to do something God said not to. Can you see the seriousness of sin in this moment? What that causes? Because of this simple sin, man was judged, woman was judged, the earth was cursed, and the entire world was undone because of this one decision. And it is the reality of sin, not only just then, but in our lives as well, that it brings judgment and consequences into our lives. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Now, when I was talking earlier, think about all those things that we were saying. If I don't do this, then it's sin. Can you think about in your mind something that you're not doing that God is supposed to do? And then you connect that with Romans 6. The wages of sin is death. Right here in this moment, right, that's where we should be about sin. Because right here, this is where we easily get deceived about sin. Right? We look at our world. You can look at the church world, right? It's filled with feel-good ministry. It's filled with, come on in, as you are, we love you, we can make it better, we can do all these things, we'll pick you up, dust you off, and get, you know, and all of that sounds good, and some of that has a portion of truth. Christian music is filled with feel-good lyrics. God, please find out. You know, fill me with your spirit. You know, uh, put me on wings like Jesus so I can fly. You know, I got to say that. It's feel-good music. Right? It's filled with feel-good. But we're talking about sin. Sin isn't feel-good. And dealing with our sin isn't feel-good. And when we stay in that feel-good, when we give ourselves to that feel-good, we're applying that same feel-goodness to our sin. And we say, yeah, the things I've done, you know, God understands and he loves me. And he's going to dust me off. You know, he's going to do it. No. No, 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 no. Sin. Many times we think about the goodness of sin and his love, and we forget that God is a righteous judge. That in God's perfection, he cannot allow sin to not be judged. That our God says that the penalty of that sin has to be charged to the offender. That when we sin, there comes consequences from that sin. And that needs to be in our minds 
We need to understand and feel the weight about sin that God feels. It's not anger. It's not rejection. It's what God feels about sin. Loves you. Hates the sin. Because he can't allow that to be in his prayer. He cannot let that go. It has to be dealt with. And in this place, we all have this issue of sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That's what the Bible says. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God doesn't leave us hanging, but he says, hey, you have this issue of sin, and there's something you need to do about it. Let's look secondly at the moment of flesh. Because the truth in our text is that Adam and Eve gave themselves over to a temptation. They gave themselves over to a moment of flesh. And this was started by the temptation of Eve. Remember, now the serpent, verse 1, the birth, uh, 3 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made it. He said, the devil said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So this morning, let me, let me expose. Let me open up the game plan to Satan. I got his book. I got his playbook. The war plan, right? This is what the plan of Satan is. His plan is to dishonor God and to ruin your soul. That's it. To dishonor God and ruin his soul because he's already lost. There's no way back from him. And because you are created, because God breathed his life into you, because he cares for you, the devil hates it. And so his plan is to, I'm going to take what you have created, I'm going to dishonor God with it, and I'm going to ruin the creation. The attitude. Think about the simple things that you've done in your life. Think about that. Think about all those things and think those things that are against the direction of God. Have they not defiled your conscience? Have they not disturbed the peace that's within you? Has it not weakened your obedience and your faith and torn apart your relationship with God? And even though we won't reflect those things outward, inwardly, we know those things to be true. We know the things that our, the sin has done into our lives. And we've seen that it does, in fact, dishonor God and it ruins our soul. These are the decisions that we have made or that we continue to make. And you have to understand that even though the devil comes and tempts us, he doesn't make us do anything. Devil doesn't make you do anything. Right. Break up that theology. <laughs> he don't make you do anything. Tempts you. Right? He puts it before you. He asks that question just like he asked Eve. Did God really say that? 
some of you, when you leave this place, the devil's going to ask you, did you really believe that preacher about sin? He's just on stage being righteous. Well, no, I'm not, because I got sin. You know. <laughs> Alright. Yeah. Have sin that has to be dealt with, that has to be judged all the time. Sins and thoughts, sins and actions. But the devil doesn't make us do anything. Our flesh and the desires that war on the inside of us, those things, those things cause us to make the, 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 the decisions that we make. These are the decisions that we make. When we're tempted, either by our flesh, the desires within us, when we're tempted by the devil, it only presents us with a decision. Will I do what's right and honor God, or will I do what I feel and give in to my desires? And in that moment of flesh and temptation, we will choose what voice we'll listen to. Now think about Mr. Smith. Mr. Will Smith, I've watched this man almost my entire life, right, growing up, Fresh Prince, you know, all that, uh, you know, 90s stuff, Jonah H. And he's grown up, whether he believed it or not, he's grown up with values, because I learned some of these values watching his TV shows, watching his career. Raised up with values and morals. His, his grandmother was a Christian and was a major influence in his life. But his life and his career and his marriage, his kids have been filled with controversies and issues, sin, all different types of sin that either directly or indirectly he's allowed into his life. All these things, the public eye looking at him, judging him, and probably in that moment, we all know, just a joke. Happens all the time. Comedians get on stage and they joke about you, about me, about everybody. Most jokes you laugh at is at the expense of someone else. Right? Just a joke. But in that moment, he had some stuff going on inside. He had some issues, some problems, some pressures, some arguments that he's thinking about, some things that, and in that moment, he had a decision. Am I going to let my flesh rule this moment and give in to sin? Or am I going to sit back and do what I know is right to do? And in that moment, he didn't make the right choice. And in our text, neither did Eve make that right choice. Because the Bible says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and when it was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband, and he ate. So they decided not to follow the word of God and allowed herself to apply her own reasoning to the situation. Because 
she knew what God said, even though she added a little bit. It's all right. You know, some more boundaries ain't nothing wrong with that. But she added her own reasoning. She looked at what was good for what she needed in life versus what God says good for your life. She looked at what's harmless now versus what's going to be more dangerous later. She used the natural wisdom versus trusting in the supernatural wisdom that God had given. And this is also what we do when we're in our moment of flesh. Because most times, most times, it's not the gross sins that we're having issues with. Right? We have this moment of flesh whether I'm going to respond back to someone in a nasty way or am I going to be nice? Am I going to control my flesh? We look at, you know, am I going to do this thing that God said, no, I don't really want you to do that because that's going to that's gonna put you out of position. That's, gonna, that's, that's not what I want for your life. It's a moment of flesh. James 4.1 says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? That struggle inside of you, that's you. That comes from inside of you. That war, that fight, it comes from your own entitled or internal desires. Right? And these are the things that the devil knows that's in you. And so he dangles that little thing right in front of you. He knows you have an issue with being lonely. So he dangles relationships. You know, he knows you have an issue with money. So he'll, you know, have someone from Alaska offer you. Right? He knows what's inside of us. It's naturally inside of us because you and I were fallen. We are fallen human. We have this inside of us, and so that temptation comes. We have this desire, and then when we don't go back to the word of God that we know, when we don't do what is right, we begin to justify and defend our sin decisions just like he did in the garden. Now it's good for food. I gotta eat. Right? Even though God said, oh yeah, but I gotta eat. Right? I need to be wise. I need to know what's going on, so I need to go out and do this. But we say that, we justify our sin, because we say, I only did that because I didn't have a choice. I had to do it. I only said those words to them because they said something first. I took that job because I needed to. Whatever the, the the issue is, we justify our sin, and that's cool, but it's still what? It is sin. And you have to have that in your mind. Many times our moment of flesh comes from us having a need. But when we make excuses for our sin and disobedience, I'll put you on this point. When we make excuses for sin, disobedience, that just provides the oil for that sin machine to keep going. It keeps that machine going real nice. It provides the fuel for that, that fire, that unrighteous uh, desire and motivation. It keeps it burning within us. Because how many people know sin doesn't satisfy? Right. There are things that you've given yourself to for years. Maybe things that you've given yourself to 
all of your life, but it hasn't changed one thing. It just leaves you with the desire to want more, to do different things, to do. It just keeps it going. And there you should learn, right? Me giving myself over to sin, I'm doing exactly what the devil wants me to do, which is to dishonor God and to ruin my life. If I keep giving myself to my sin. And you know what's more, we, we can be our best lawyers, right? We can justify a case. We can say we can we can lay it all out. As we're doing the sin, we, we're, we're building a case in our minds. Like, yep, I get caught, I know exactly what. Lay it right down like that. But it really don't matter because it's still sin. Whether you did it for a good reason in your mind or not, it is sin. But the thing is, you can live above sin. It's one thing that uh, I hear my pastor say that it encourages me. Saying we, this is not something we just need to hear once. We need to hear this all the time. We need to say this to ourselves daily that we can live above sin. Because this isn't a one-time battle. This is going to be a fight that you're going to have to fight every day in your life. Every day. And that doesn't mean that you're just going to be in this, uh, you know, World War III, uh, you know, I'm always depressed, I'm always beaten down, man, sin just beats me down. No. But you're going to have to wake up every day knowing that things are going to rise up inside of you, that temptations are going to come to you, and then I have a decision to make. Am I going to live for God or live for the devil? Which one am I going to live for? Right? Because the more you live for the devil, he's like, okay, you, you're rocking in the party. You're good. Right? He's got you. Right? But then God's just sitting over there. It's like, oh, no. I'm really going to have to judge that. And let it go. And you have to make a choice. And I want to tell you this morning, I want to give you a little hope this morning, is that you can have victory over sin. It does not matter what type of sin. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter. It is of no anything to God because the blood of Jesus is more powerful than your sin. And ultimately, even though God has to judge sin, he made a way for you to be forgiven of your sin. You say amen. Let's look lastly at victory in the moment. Victory in the moment of flesh. Because we can live victorious over sin and temptation. And Jesus shows us this in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. I want you to, if you have your Bibles, go there. I really want you to listen to this because this is an example of how you can have victory over sin. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1, says, Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. 
Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down from him, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil ended every temptation, he departed from him until the opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Jesus went through the same temptation that Adam and Eve went through. Right? You say, oh, just because he's Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Jesus gives an example of how we can overcome flesh and temptation. And if you're going to have victory over sin this morning, there's three examples, three things that I have that will allow you to do that first is being saved and being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Verse 1, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan. You may be here this morning and you're not in the right relationship with God. I can tell you that if you're trying to battle your sin by your own strength and your own intelligence, there's no hope for you. You can only overcome sin by your relationship with God, by being saved, having your sin forgiven, you can see in the Bible some of the wisest people, some of the strongest people in the Bible had moments where they didn't overcome sin. You can talk about Solomon and all his wisdom, but his heart was turned away from God by his 700 wives and 300 concubines. David, a man after God's own heart, he fell into sin, committed adultery and even murder. Goliath, the strongest man ever to be known, a man of great strength and destiny and God, made habits of touching unclean things and being with unrighteous women. When you try to use the natural to combat the supernatural, you're not going to win. It's only by the blood of Jesus. Being saved involves confession of your sins and confession of your faith that Jesus has taken your place and he's taken your punishment for sin. And when you are saved, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit just like Jesus was. You say filled with the Holy Spirit is not just jumping around. It's not just all these things. When you're saved with the Spirit, Jesus told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power for what? Not to jump around. Not to look crazy, but he, he gives us power so that we can be victorious over sin. He gives us power so that we can boldly proclaim the word of God. He gives us power for preaching and power for witnessing so that we can live for him, be an example for him, and give him the glory that he deserves. He gives us power through the Holy Spirit to overcome flesh, to overcome sin. Romans 8, 5 says, for those who live according to the flesh 
set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Jesus was faced with this desire for patience. And he overcame. The second thing is keeping the word of God. During this situation, Jesus used the word of God to combat every lie that the enemy was giving him. He said, the devil said, hey, you're the son of God. You hungry? You've been fasting? Let me, let me see something, Jesus. If you really are the son of God, the temptation for God to honor himself, to lift himself. He said, no, 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 no. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word of God. Jesus knew the word of God for the situation. Do you? When you're struggling with sin, when you're struggling with temptation, do you know the word of God and what it says about what you're going through? Because if you did, you'd be able to answer that temptation. You'd be able to speak the word of God into that situation. It says, no, I'm not supposed to give my eye to that. No, I'm not supposed to speak that. No, I'm not supposed to be around people who are like that. No, I'm supposed to be set apart, just like the Word of God says. The Word of God is very specific, right? And the thing is, you're like, oh, man, you know, the Word, there's so much stuff in the Bible. Just open. All you got to do is open. Open it. You read something, make it happen. It's simple. That's why I said, you know, there's, there's, there's a guy that asked recently, you know, I was like, I don't, I don't know, man, you know, show me, show me how to, how to read something. I said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll send you something, but really just pop it open, right? You pop it open, it says, he who does this is not wise. And you say, okay, I'm not going to do that. And then that day, you work on not doing that. And then the next day, you open this again, you say, oh, okay, okay, then I'm going to work on that, right? And then, in between doing that, you're coming here and hearing the word of God. And then the pastor, the minister of God is going to tell you something that you say, oh, I didn't know that. And you leave here and go do. That was one of the biggest things when I got saved. I said, I didn't know anything. I was just a religious, you know, Baptist kid you know, from St. Louis. I said, there's one thing I know, and it's to be in the house of God. And when I come here, I was challenged about my sin and the life that I was living. And every time the preacher preached, I said, man, I didn't even know that. Shoot. Am I going to leave here and do what I want to do still? Or am I going to leave here and do what God has said? And the last thing is worshiping and serving God. The devil came to him and tempted him. I'll give you the whole world if you would just bow down and serve me. Jesus said, no, 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 no. It is written. The word of God says. You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. You know, worshiping God is not just singing songs. It's not just clapping our hands and speaking in tongues. Those things are great. But worshiping God involves creating a lifestyle that continuously honors and glorifies God. Jesus tells the devil, I don't have time for your kingdom. I have to worship God. Everything that I need is going to come from him, I'm going to serve the Lord. And when you make a decision to live a life of worship, when you decide to fill your life with the things of God, your life begins to change because the things of God become most important. When you start revolving your life around the things of God, that's a life 
of worship. And when you put the things of God more than the desires of your flesh, more than the sin that calls your attention, more than the problems that come into your life, you begin to have victory over those issues. That was another thing when I when I when I got saved. I began to, you know, I, again, I didn't know anything, but I know I needed to be here. And when issues came up in my life, arguments came in my life, problems came in my life, I said, okay, problem, issue, you're on hold. I'm going to go to church, do my thing, and I'm going to get with you when I come back. Because when I go to the house of God, more than likely, God has seen what I've been going through throughout the whole day, throughout the whole week. And he speaks to the man of God to minister on the issue that I have a problem with. More times than not, I've come in here and, and, and pastors preach in my life. And I'm like, help me. Right? I can remember, you know, there was a time when uh, me and my family were living in, a, in another house. And I came home. It was Bible study. That was another Bible study. And so I'm already rushing home from work. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to go. I got to, you know, get here and. You know, it's bad when people, you know, show up for Bible study and you ain't there. You still ain't working. And I'm, I'm rushing home, and I and I go home, and, uh, you know, we had, I was driving a car, and then there was another car, and I had a, another car off to the side. It was a, you know, public lot. And I'm driving in, and I was like, looking at my window, it looks a little funny. And I'm like, what's going on over there? And so I, I pull in, I park the car, and I go over, right? I'm already, like, kind of late for Bible study. And I look, my whole back window's busted out. And I'm like, oh my, and it had been raining that whole day. Whole day. Yeah, it had been raining the whole day. And I was like, this is my favorite car. My favorite car. And it's all busted up. And I'm like, and it just began to turn my whole day. And then I'm sitting there, and I'm, and this is coming into my mind. I said, you know what? It's just, because it's time for God. I gotta get into Bible study. I gotta get my mind right to minister. I gotta get my mind right. There's people who are coming to hear the word of God. I don't have time for this. Right? Sorry wet. Sorry messed up. Right? Now coming to a Bible study, I'm like, oh, open your Bible. Man, the window broke. You know? I'm gonna revolve my life. I'm gonna have the victory. Right? Because sin and temptation. And bad attitudes, I don't have time for that because God has bigger purposes than my problems, than your problems, right? And I'm saying, problems, you got to deal with it. I did deal with it. I cleaned it. I made it, I made it good. But God's bigger than our problems. We have to minimize our problems, cast down every problem, every issue. Every, God, I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to worship you and you alone. I don't have time to worship anything else because it's not going to do anything for me. This morning, you're going to have to make a decision. This morning, you're going to have to make a decision. Will you choose to put on the Lord Jesus or will you submit to the flesh? Romans 13, 11-14 says, And knowing the time that now is the time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Jesus is coming back. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness 
and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in partying and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Are you going to put on the Lord Jesus in your life forever? Not just one thing, all things, all sins, all unrighteousness. Are you going to have that attitude that I'm putting these things off and I'm not giving myself to them? I'm going to have this attitude that I hate sin, I hate carnality, I hate unrighteousness, and I'm going to put on the Lord Jesus and I'm going to walk exactly how he's telling him to, and I'm going to let him strengthen me to be able to do that. Will you do that? Or will you make the provision to keep fulfilling the flesh, fulfilling the lust? You have to make that decision this morning. Let's bow our heads all around this place.